0: This is true on, on It, the <laughs> podcast where we talk white supremacy and how not to get away with it. Hi Izzy. Hello Pip. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Um, yeah, we're kind of, I guess, two and a half weeks into the new world since the 25th of May, since the day that George Floyd was murdered by a policeman kneeling on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And um, I think it's time we um, address some stuff that seems to have sort of been uh, been thrown up in the wake of, of his death. Mm-hmm. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've been quite cautious because I feel very much like um, it's a very specific thing and I've, I'm always quite conscious of like no white saviours and that kind of thing. But you just said something to me before, which is like there's a difference between white saviours and white solidarity. And I think that's that's something to kind of keep much more present in mind. Um, and now feels a lot more like the time when after you know, two weeks of what must be utter exhaustion for people dealing with the phenomenon of police brutality against black people globally. Um, for us to also be taking up a mantle of like taking on that exhaustion and how does this not just become something that celebrities talk about on Instagram?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also one thing, one important thing to remember is that, um, you know, for brown and black people, it's not like racism just started existing two and a half weeks ago. It's something that, you know, and I know that a lot of um, people will, will know this already, but it's something that brown and black people have been talking about for, potentially centuries, but definitely decades. Um, And yeah, it just, it feels like this is a conversation that will only move forward when white people start getting involved and start talking amongst each other, rather than expecting POC people to kind of, you know, do that work and talk on their behalf and explain racism to them and then do nothing about it. Instead, it should be, it has to be white on white conversations. So I think, yeah, that white solidarity, but also just holding each other to account has to start happening in order for things to actually change.
1: For sure. Um, and you've had a lot longer and you obviously have a much more lived experience of racism than I do. Um, obviously, neither of us are black people, but you have a huge amount of experience with, with lived racism. Um, and, and yeah, so, well, you've got stuff to say.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I've been sort of thinking about lots of the things that have been going on and just really astounded. And what I kind of wanted to articulate with this episode is that I've never felt this way before. And I think that that's sort of like, it's, I think that's quite, um well, quite a widespread experience for a lot of people of colour. in um, PSE people are being listened to in a way that we never have before. And I think that that, that has like a really or it feels like a fundamental shift. And yeah, obviously, I think it's going to take a lot more than just talking and um, in order to really make this shift on a massive structural level, but it does feel different to every other time that something like this has happened. And Mm -hmm. I've never felt this level of engagement before. So I'm not going to in any way like my experiences um, to that of being Black in America. Mine are completely different and less extreme to a massive degree, but it's all part of the same continuum. And that I have, I've I've had the feeling that this is, you know, coming to us coming as a surprise to many white people who have kind of gotten comfortable either with denying racism or, or, um, creating essentially this atmosphere where there is no conscious effort to stop it or to mitigate it. Um, But yeah, I've never felt this level of engagement by white people before. And I think it should be celebrated and used to the best of our abilities to move the conversation forward and move also the structural oppression um, towards a lesser extent and to completely try and obliterate it altogether. Um, So it's not just conversations with friends, which... Uh, which have started to happen, which have never happened before. Um, But it's also like concrete situations that I've encountered over the last two and a half weeks that I think fundamentally would have gone differently um, before George Floyd was murdered and before um, this global protest movement was kicked off. Mm. So, yeah, I just wanted to sort of share one of those examples to kind of give, give listeners an idea about how the conversation has moved forward and maybe even an idea about how they can become allies. I think because this is a really important part of this whole discussion is how to create allyship amongst white people and also, you know, people of color who perhaps are in a more privileged position than other people of color who face even further and even more detrimental discrimination and um, humiliation and brutality uh, because of the color of their skin. to create allyship and to create the sense of shared solidarity and give people tools to combat the structural and also very pernicious everyday racism that people of color have to um, have to encounter, yeah, so what do you think i'm going to give you tell you my story yeah, please do. Um,
1: I think this is the thing, isn't it is that I don't know it gets very abstract and um, it's it's just it's very easy to brush off for many people who don't have have you know people to to listen to and to engage with but again as you say it's a delicate balance because it's not your job to educate us (laughs) do you know what i mean or educate the world or educate white people but unfortunately this still seems to be happening um and as you say i'm really fascinated to hear how you think you know even in two weeks you know to think that something like you know, George Floyd. You know, just this one person and this one horrible thing can like can can have triggered things. You know that you've experienced as a, a person of color in in Berlin is is really kind of like fascinating to think that things like that don't have an effect don't have ripple effects.
0: Yeah, and I think it's not even just like it's not my job to educate, but I think for people of color, like it's not worked. I think that's the key thing. Is like you know we've all been saying this for a very, very long yeah, time. Yeah, we're not educated. <laughs> but, the, but that's it. It's like, it's not, like, it just doesn't work. Mm. It's, it's, mm. it's got to get to a point where white people aren't just aware of it, but outraged by it. Yeah. And yeah. that's when it's going to change. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just telling this story is kind of like, maybe articulating a stepping stone in that direction. Um, so, yeah, the, the other day I was sitting with a a mum friend of mine in chillakee who i have previously talked to a little bit about racism that i experienced as a brown mum with a with a white son which is like a, a new form of racism that like i mm, yeah didn't expect and is kind of has caught me off guard in the last couple of years i kind of i think it's a graduation it's sort of, in a way, like just a simple way to articulate it. It's a graduation from the "where are you from?" "Where are you from?" "Where are you really, really from?" "Where are you really, really, really from?" "Where are you really, 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 really from?" That is something that I think basically every single brown person who has lived, or brown and black person who has lived in white society, has experienced. The "where are you from?" "No, no, no, where are you really from?" "No, no, 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 where are you really, really, really from?" As if, to "Where did over- you get that baby from?" This is this is kind of it. Like I call it the babysittered phenomenon mm. um of like since I became a brown mum to a white child, I've been babysittered on a fairly regular basis. So are you the babysitter? Mm. And that is you know, it fundamentally sort of undermines your position as a mother in society. And also, I guess when taken to a more extreme extent, could be the basis or be the grounds of some white savior taking my baby away from me. So that's, it's, it's been a constant kind of nagging irritation, but to an extent where it also does worry me um, that that could be, you know, something that I need to think about and, you know, carrying his passport around has not, um, has not passed me by as a a, um, potential solution to some white savior trying to take my screaming baby because Mm. they do that sometimes they have meltdowns he's two years old now he's Mm. getting to the terrible twos and I do worry about the meltdown in the supermarket which results in some police officer taking my child away because they don't think it's mine um you know and so I've expressed this to to my my mum friend on a number of occasions just sort of like you know in passing I she wanted to go to a um, one of these familial centrums. And I said, oh, well, I've experienced not very nice attitudes there before. I'd rather go somewhere else. And I'd been babysitted there before, and I just didn't really feel comfortable going there. And previously, on all the occasions that I've ever talked to her about these things, um, she's expressed what is incredibly common in my experience of of speaking to white people about racism, which is what I think is the phenomenon, or what I've come to um, name as the phenomenon of whites will be whites. Um, oh, yeah, sort of, that's
1: that's really good.
0: Yeah, sort of playing on the boys will be boys yeah. trope, um, but it's essentially this playing down or or essentially denial. So. I don't think that's what they meant, or are you sure that's what happened? Or hmm, something similar happened to me once, actually. And then they proceed to tell you a completely irrelevant story that is not similar to your story in any way, shape, or form. So it's like deflection, dismissal, Mm. avoidance, and ultimately all of those things are part of a package of complicity. Um, Because when you deny something, a lived experience of racism of, of a person of color, you're essentially just being completely complicit with it and allowing it to perpetuate. Um, so back to us, you know, we're sitting in Shilkeet's, um, having a coffee and another mum friend walks by who's uh, Somali British. And she d- sat down and we had a, a sort of catch up chat. And, and then she told us the story about her daughter who's been targeted in Kita. She's four years old um, by a little group of white shits and um, who said they don 't want to play with her because she 's dark skinned, and you know knowing kind of my experience with telling my 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 other friend you know these experiences in the past, I was kind of fully expecting some kind of whites will be whites um mm. conversation to to occur, and quite worried that that would discomfort my my other friend who just told us this this horrific story um, and you know immediately actually me and my friend were able to sort of launch into a conversation about how um, how horrific that was and how horrible that was that um, her daughter had to, had to put up with that at such a young age and had to start this conversation and start understanding what racism is at such a young age um, of four years old. And um, also started talking about, you know, what is it that, that made those kids come back after six months of not doing it, actually, because it apparently started about six months ago, but they were chastised and um, they didn't do it for about six months. But they seem to have come back from lockdown, perhaps exposed to mm. racism at home um, by parents who, one of them, who loves to talk about the fact that she's a doctor, I'm a doctor, I'm a doctor. Turns out racism knows no class limits. So, um, so yeah, it seems that they might have come back from lockdown with more racist attitudes and are now um, and are now perpetrating that against their fellow you know, kids of color who are in the same key to Kern. <laughs> so just if you want to, you know, have a white all key to don't live in Neu Kern is what yeah. I can say to that mother. Um, so anyway, instead of that whites will be whites reaction, which I was kind of expecting and, and ready to deflect and ready to sort of, you know, take that on and maybe not, call cool it out because that would be too awkward i guess but definitely to sort of like be the one in that conversation to to comfort my um my friend who was telling us this story um instead she just stayed relatively quiet and seemed just to listen to um to the conversation um and that was the the situation until i think she got a li- it got a bit too much for her and so she started distracting us by talking about my other friend's um baby spitting up so That I see as progress. Um, And if sustained, I think will be the absolute foundation for change, right? It's a tiny, small change. But essentially what she did was to allow people of colour in front of her to talk about racism openly and not try to dismiss, distract, and ultimately be complicit with those little white boys who were picking on my friend's daughter. Um, so yeah, I think that sort of what that story did for me or what that situation did for me is sort of like articulate. I think what's so important as the foundation of sustained change, which is starting by believing people of color. Um, and it has a huge, huge, huge impact. Um, for confronting racism, just starting by believing the black woman when she tells you that she's encountered 25 to 100 microaggressions in a single day, um, living as a black woman in, in the United States from being followed around a supermarket because she's presumed to be criminal to, you know, more extreme examples of being denied healthcare or pain treatment because she's presumed to have higher pain threshold than white women by medical staff who should in no way think those things because they're supposed to be scientifically based. Um, believing the brown man when he tells you that he's been unfairly profiled at an airport and his cavities, his you know, bodily cavities have been searched because he was brown. Um, it's believing the black man who tells you that he's been racially profiled by police around once a month since the age of nine or 10 years old. It's believing prisoners who say that the drugs were planted by racist cops wanting to give them a criminal record once, twice, three times. And now in America, in many states, you can't vote. You know, it's this, it's that fundamental first stage that has to happen in order for these structural mechanisms of degradation and discrimination to be taken away is just believing that they are there in the first place and that is something that over the past two and a half weeks I have I have felt and witnessed has fundamentally changed amongst white society um
1: I have have to admit I I, I didn't because I knew you were gonna like I knew the framework of this story you're gonna tell I do I mean again showing like I find it quite depressing that that's that's the only thing that you think is a really good thing is that she just was quiet.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean but it's a start, right? I mean Yeah, no of course she's not going to change she's not going to change overnight into being a vocal ally. You know, she's still going to make some, you know veiled sort of racist comments about Turkish women who play who are, you know, in the Spielplatz with us, alongside us in Neukern you know, these are things that, these are always, or these are going to still happen. Um, But I think that, that staying quiet and allowing two women of colour to speak about a racist experience in an open and frank way for maybe even a few minutes before deflecting and talking about the baby spitting up, that is progress. Mm. That is huge. And just sort of like on a more macro level, what does that mean for, for instance, TV panel shows in the UK that have people of colour on a lot of the time tokenistically and then shouted down by, you know, white panellists who were saying, no, that's not real. Oh, that's not what they meant. And, you know, all the kind of whites, whites will be whites excuses that allow and perpetrate and, and become complicit in in, in racism. So, that moment of silence from that woman who I've known to allow racism and be complicit in racism before. And that moment for me signifies a change. And if done on a macro scale, this change could be revolutionary. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, that's for me why it sort of, it stood out um, as something. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like the stage after believing people of color is being outraged, right? So that's the next stage. And that's where you get taken. Once you start believing people of color and listening to their stories, um, and having full empathy with those people, you know, saying, you know, I think you are a fully formed human being that deserves as much respect as I give to my white colleagues and white friends and white people in the society as well. And once you do that, you will feel outraged by racism and that I think is like the next stage of confronting racism in, in everyday life. Um, because I think it's the only way we change this is that, is that white people feel outraged by racism and act, um, act accordingly in everyday situations and also on a structural scale as well.
1: I think as well as something, I think I've definitely become more conscious of in the last, like maybe five years or so, just as you become less a, a young woman and become a woman, is how how much you are prized as a white woman, as a white blonde woman, no less, um, in that you're extremely, you are, if I start screaming in the street, people will come to my aid immediately. There will be no presumption that I am insane or I am on drugs, that I am in trouble and that woman needs help. And, you know, the, 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 it's, I think it's really interesting. And I think, like, if you knew your power, in that situation and you could use it because there's this conversation about you know like white women's tears get people killed um you know this kind of manipulation of emotion because it's a really powerful thing and um and but if you use if you flip that and you can use it you'd be surprised how many people are like oh okay like you know and we've talked about this quite a lot and and i mean not, it's, just, it's just everything, isn't it? I, I, we, I keep using this this like analogy of like fish being in water, like fish don't know that they're in water. That's what this feels like with racism. We, like, we don't know that it's everything. And once the veil has been lifted and you start to kind of see, well, capitalism is racist, it's built on racism, history is racist, history with a capital H is racist. You know, the gatekeepers of what history is and what is to be prized and what is not to be prized in the judicial
0: system, it's very that's where the outrage has to come in yeah massively on a structural level like those are definitely the important things to kind of to start like activating around and to start um sort of bandying around these these big ideas that are coming out of this movement i've been doing a lot of, of reading currently on the prison abolition movement and um and also looking at uh, the defund the police movement, and mm. looking at like you know these are ideas that have been in the activist community for a while now, but are starting to really come out and be part of the general conversation because they're solutions, and people yeah. are saying you know what can we do? Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! And these are movements that have been around for decades and decades, but now they're starting to get traction, and now people are starting to say, well, actually, yes, like. If these institutions are fundamentally racist and based on a concept of essentially degrading and removing the life and liberty and happiness of um people of color then we have to change them rip them down if necessary uh, but completely rebuild them
1: and this is it right there's a social contract right i, was, I saw it i saw it, some, uh, something going on on twitter a, a, a video going around and there was a, a black woman in the us and she was like you've broken the social contract by killing us yes. it's broken why the why the hell do you think you're going to destroy property? Who gives a fuck about property? Like yeah. when people's lives, you know, there's a social contract and you break it. You break mm-hmm. it over and over and over in the shoring up of white power and white privilege. So yeah. so this pearl clutching about property, there's things that, don't worry, property is, make, is taken care of much more carefully and with much more... Um, you know, with much more ferocity than people of colour's lives. And yeah. it's just, you're right, and it's just the outrage, it has to spread, and I don't, it's just, do you know what I can't believe is that white patriarchy we see now failing so abysmally with the, with the response to COVID in Boris Johnson in the UK, in Trump in the US, patriarchy failing on a, on a colossal scale. How have they so successfully kept us in our boxes and, mm-hmm. and and
0: how have they so successfully convinced white people that other poor people are the problem i think it's propaganda and i think it's pr i think it's um i think it's a combination of many many things but i think that you know a lot of people aren't standing for it anymore and i hope that we can galvanize around around this movement that really does start uh, does feel like it's starting to um to change things and definitely change the conversation in a much more progressive way um, so I just want to sort of end with uh, some ideas for for allyship, for listeners. Like if you are interested in becoming an ally to people of colour or just want to sort of, you know, know more about it, then um, read, 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 read. You know, there is, there is literature. People of colour have been talking about racism and, and discrimination based on race for centuries. Uh, definitely. In the last decades there 's been a huge amount of literature written about it, so just read just read, read, read read, read if you 're interested in this and you want to become an ally, then there is no harm in just getting informed and reading the work of people of color and also white people who have written about how to uh, bring down racism um, and how to sort of um, you know talk about that amongst amongst white people as well. Um, second thing is. Oh, and in terms of the reading, there are just hundreds of, um, reading lists that have now been created since, since George Floyd's death. And it's the easiest thing in the world. It's just just go on Google and just get a reading list, anti-racist reading list and, uh, and you'll find plenty of information there. Um... The second thing I say is like, you know, donate, donate to organizations that are doing good work already on racial justice. There are so many of them out there and um, so many of them are doing absolutely incredible work. So just go online, find organizations um, that you want to donate to or find people that you respect in terms of um, what they produce on social media or what they do in their celebrity lives and see what they're advocating to donate to and donate, donate, donate. Um, the third thing I say is like flood your social media accounts with um, profiles of people of color, black and black, black and black and brown folk who are raising awareness and raising consciousness about these issues and issues that their communities are facing, um, and just you know flood your social media accounts because then you'll just give them far more traction than they would have got otherwise because of structural racism. Um, and finally, just know your know your power in every situation and use it. Um, What I mean is like, you know, all of us have different varying degrees of privilege. And if we understand our own privilege, then we are able to utilize that privilege where we need to in combating these structural oppressions that exist in our society. So those varying degrees of privilege are obviously, you know, they range from the most privileged to the cis white male to the least privileged, the black woman, the black man in society. So, know your power, know where you sit in that privilege ladder, and use it to the best of your ability to combat racism and combat this horrific scourge on humanity, which is the discrimination of people, the murder of people, the dehumanization of people because of the amount of melanin in their skin that's all it fucking is and until you're able to sort of internalize that believe racism exists be outraged by it you are a hindrance and not a help
1: so also um we could uh as well as I say, I think it's important that people Google it, right? It's, in people that go- it's important that people Google the old uh, reading lists. Um, you don't need to like pester your your your, your friends, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, because and don't center yourself, white people. As usual, <laughs> don't center yourself. I mean, I understand the the urge to show that you're you're listening and you're learning, but you can also do that very quietly. <laughs> and um, just to promote other voices. I wanted to promote a really good one, by the way, on Twitter that I've been following, which is the Black Curriculum, um, which is about education um, of, of the history of Black Britain, really,
0: which is really cool. They do a lot of good stuff.
1: Um, yeah. uh, and um,
0: there's plenty and of o- things. And on that note, also Rennie Edo-Lodge, who wrote uh, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, And uh, she's got a brilliant podcast called About Race, which is about um, actually Britain during a period that we grew up in. Um, So starting with sort of Blair's Britain in the early 2000s. But everything
1: was fine then, right? It was like really (laughs) good.
0: It's the myth of uh, post-racial society that she starts off with and talks about um, how that wasn't uh, the case at all. And then obviously things got a lot worse since 2010. When uh, a bunch of fucking psychopaths got elected, and keep on getting
1: elected, I know that's. I mean, if you needed any more proof than that, but um, I think there seems to be we could track this problem as well as becoming like hyper hyper problematic with hyper hyper capitalism as well. Do you Mm. think?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that I think there's a fundamental link between the lack of solidarity that we feel amongst ourselves as a society because of neoliberalism and the lack of solidarity that white people feel with with brown people. Also, racism is a tool that has been used by white elites in power to destroy solidarity between um, working-class blacks, working-class browns, and working-class whites. So it's a tool. And, you know, if you are a racist, you're being used by someone who you're supposed to hate, which is like the elites that these... Um, that these kind of you know these these white folk who are voting for extremism these days they they supposedly against elites but they are absolutely falling hook line and sinker for the elite lines every single time. Every time. And one of those elite lines is 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 racism that it by its very historical context. conception yeah, and yeah, by yeah. its very very you know the the, the the conception of racism as a thing happened in the context of creating. schism or in the united states at least was created in the context of creating a schism between um european migrants to the new world who were working in chattels uh, or and not in chattel but in um indentured um working environments and their african descent um colleagues who were also working in indentured labor so the creation of chattel slavery essentially was the first incident or the first ideas of it come as a way to sort of get your white european descent migrant workers as allies to the elites and,
1: and it's it's like we got you know i saw a, a tweet i can't remember who it was i apologize saying we got rid of slavery we didn't get rid of this the slave owning class and that's been the problem <laughs> yeah. they got to they got to congratulate themselves on they got to lord themselves as well, we, we got rid of slavery. We, we got rid of it. You know, you are as if, and by the way, everyone, as if I see a lot of pearl clutching about property, this, that, and the other, as if anything ever got done peacefully, as if we ever got the vote peacefully, as if slavery just, you know, had nothing to do with Haiti or, you know, as if, as if the landowners just suddenly turned around and said, oh, do you know what? I've had to change your heart. That doesn't happen.
0: So get on board. We need yeah. you on board. I would say though like um, I think that you know civil disobedience has been shown to be the most effective form of um, form of social change that has ever occurred and that is by nature non-violent to you know other human beings mm-hmm. but perhaps violent to property you know that is that is not um, something that is antithetical to the ideas of civil disobedience and non-violent protest destruction of property is not the same as destruction of life. And if you care about the destruction of property more than you care about the destruction of life, then your priorities are wrong and should be reevaluated. Did you see the people who went out to clean Chase Bank? <laughs> I didn't. I don't. You know, they went out and they went and
1: they cleaned the bank, and it was like, oh my god! Just lie down and say, step on my
0: neck, please. I want it. I'm not really. I'm not really following that stuff, to be honest. It's you know, I'm much more interested in what's going on on a societal level rather than the sort of the, the the Brexit cruise backlash to, to what's going on because No, this was in the as, US as,
1: it, was, it, was oh, just, right. it was just a, a comic thing that a lot of people were being like what is wrong with these people like, what, like what? Can, this is an example of internalised absolute internalised you know this, this bank doesn't care about you why you are out there cleaning it it was just quite almost kind of comic if it wasn't so tragic
0: Yeah, well I think like what's really important is a, a statement that Michael Gladwell made in one of his books where he said we just need 30% to agree with us and the ideas." that coming from that 30% will change society. That 30% has created a world in which we live and we're all complicit with, which is a world of racist, neoliberal capitalism in its most extreme form. We need to be the other 30% who change it to a world that we can all live peacefully and prosperously in that is not also destroying the environment as well. So we need to be the new 30% that change society in our image and don't tolerate the society that has been created by a 30% of people who really lack empathy and lack the humanity to justify their leading position in our societies.
1: Yeah. And, uh, centrists, you know, pick a side, (laughs) make it the right one. (laughs) Um, well, this has been fabulous. Uh, and uh, very interesting and eye-opening. Thank you for um, bringing in your personal accounts as well. Um, we'll definitely talk to you very soon, everyone. Um, it's been a lot of um, it's been a lot of fun. Has it been fun? It got.
0: It's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 been a moment. It's been a moment. It's been a moment.
1: All right then. Well, we'll speak to you soon. This has been Sister Oh!